everybody. It's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Achtung, schnell. And today we are talking The Moon of Skulls by Robert E. Howard. How do you say that in German? um, (laughs) Sorry. That in German. That's how I say it. Uh. Ah, There we go. The bad jokes have already started. This is a short story by Robert E. Howard. It is... uh, one of the Solomon Kane tales. Uh, it was published in two parts originally, uh, June and July of 1930 by Weird Tales. Uh, brief synopsis, Kane travels to Africa to rescue an English girl sold to Barbary pirates and finds the lost city of Nagari and battles Nakari, the vampire queen. Although she's not, not a vampire, vampire, interestingly enough. No. You know, She's called the Vampire Queen, but yeah, there's nothing in there's the no va- vampirism in here, right? That even the only, the only thing that like kind of hints at vampirism is that these the people of this particular kingdom um, have a racial trait where they are driven by bloodlust, mm-hmm. which is only kept in check by this ritual that they perform. Um, called the Moon of Skulls, or for the Moon of Skulls, during the Moon of Skulls. Yeah, the Moon of Skulls is a reference to the full moon, whereupon a sacrifice is made to an ancient Atlantean skull of an ancient Atlantean wizard. Yes, who they worship as a a god. As a deity, because he was instrumental in the revolution against the Atlanteans who kept Africans as slaves. Yes. Now, being that this is a weird tale, published in Weird Tales, it's also Robert E. Howard in 1930, uh, it has all the hallmarks of a great pulp adventure story from that period. It really, it does. The, this is the giant boulder sitting on top of the cliff, and all it needs is one push to make it, to turn that potential into greatness, into kinetic energy. Unfortunately, it pushed um, the other way off the cliff and uh, it, devolved it, into essentially a racist screed. <laughs> yeah, it, this is um, unfortunately um, the story is is basically ruined by just the amount of sheer animosity and bigotry um, mm-hmm. contained therein. It's um, to me, it's very similar to Black Canaan. Right, uh, which is another Howard story, which would have been a phenomenal story, except for the fact that it's racist as fuck, mm-hmm. and, and it, it just holds that story back from being something that like should be on everyone's lips. And before but, any of you who are listening are go, oh, he was just a man of his time, blah blah blah. First off, fuck you. That's your argument. Secondly. One of the key features of the story in the way it is written is that Howard does not refer to Africans as human beings, but twice in the entire yeah. story. The, the, the thing about racism in Robert E. Howard is it shows itself to, in varying degrees, depending on um, the story that it's in. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, like a Conan story, it's there, but it's really low key, and right. and it's almost used as a um, as a code to to uh, get the reader to make 
assumptions about a uh, a nation. Right. He 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 masks it as in terms of in terms of nationalism, I suppose. Where it's, right, and and know, even that where each that's, nation is kind of like you know the Stygians. We know what a Stygian looks like. Right. They have their own ethnicity. They they have their own culture, and he uses like a stereo modern stereotypes or modern for his time to kind of encode that information so that you know what a Stygian is. And he doesn't have to go about describing what a Stygian is because it's there. You make your own assumptions. Mm-hmm. And as cosmopolitan as the Hyborian world is, because unlike Solomon Kane, and, and we'll get to this as part of the framework, Conan is kind of a citizen of the world. We've mentioned yeah. this, the Red Nails. Uh, Conan is every everywhere and everything. Right. He speaks all the local languages. He knows all the local customs. He goes in and he goes native, as the saying goes. Solomon Kane, on the other hand, is about as cracker as you can get. (laughs) It's it's kind of strange because Solomon Kane is kind of the antithesis of everything that um, Robert E. Howard ever argued with H.P. Lovecraft about barbarism versus civilization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because um, where where you have Conan, his his barbarian, right? Um, who who you know represents that aspect of of Texas frontier life that Howard adored. Mm-hmm. Um, Solomon Kane is he's a Puritan. Mm-hmm. He's very very British, um, even though he can only stand to be on the islands, but a month out of the year. Right before his uh, wanderlust kicks in. Yeah, he's still like he is it, it, very English, very European, and a lot of his motivation is is rooted in European sense of chivalry, mm-hmm. um, especially in this story. Um, his his sense of religion. Yep, and and just him being um, white. Mm-hmm. And Solomon Solomon Cain, for for as amazing as some of the other Solomon Cain stories are, Solomon Cain as a character is very much uh, the superiority of European civilization. Yeah, yeah, and, and not only superiority so the superiority of the West of Europeans, but superiority of that that Puritan belief structure that ended up making its way into America. Right. So, you know, it's not, you know, he's not a Catholic hero. Robert Howard makes very uh, specific references to, to the fact that Solomon Cain is Puritan. Yeah. Sometimes even calling him, just calling him the Puritan. Mm-hmm. However, Solomon Cain is also super violent. He, he solves, he's not, unlike Conan, who outsmarts people. Solomon Cain very much is a might makes right sort of guy. Yeah, he has absolutely no problem um, plunging his his rapier into the heart of his foe without thinking twice. Where Conan will, you know, he'll throw down because he's Conan. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, Conan also, you know, knows when to cut and run. Yep. Solomon Um, Cain? Solomon Cain does not. Solomon Cain is single-minded. Once he gets uh, an idea into his head, um, that's it. He's seeing it to the end. He's kind of um, a dullard that way. Mm-hmm. 
he he is kind of a dullard. He he's he's single minded. He has that sort of personality that is prototypical of the American action hero. He's very similar to Rambo and Schwarzenegger's characters, and and to a degree Bruce Willis. You know, and pretty much every action movie you think of, he he follows that mold. It's you know, there's a problem, and he goes through several intense action sequences to get to the solution to that problem, which usually ends with everyone's dead, and Solomon Kane walks out bruised and battered and his tank top is bloody and that's about it he's not stupid though I no mean, he's, he's not stupid he, he's not stupid i mean he definitely you know calculates odds and 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 will try to i guess overcome situations uh mm-hmm. for example in this book at the very beginning um before it started degrading um he climbs a cliff and there's this body tacked up to a tree pointing back towards the cliff and then he gets the message go back but he doesn't mm-hmm. because he's on some weird mission that you don't know what it is at this point and he encounters um one a chieftain of the local tribe right and uh they parlay and he wants to be taken to to see nakari the vampire queen and the, the chieftain's like you can't come you have no gifts and he finally convinces the guy to take him along right. And the guy's like, well, after you. <laughs> and he, he's like, no, 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 no. We walked together because we were right. two kings together. And uh, finally he realizes his mistake when as they're walking along, all the guys hidden in the bush start piling up behind them. Right. And, and, uh, he's, uh, but he's also perfectly aware that there are guys in the bush. There have been guys yeah. in the bush the whole time. Right. He but, that, op- but he has to get to Nakari. That's his right. goal, and that's his goal. He's and do it. if I got to go through these guys, then I will. But you know, he he also he, it's like our brothers are like leopards. Yeah, you know. But it's it's soon after meeting this chieftain is where it starts going downhill because it's like, oh, I can't believe I have to pay respects to this guy in such a way and be diplomatic because he's black. Right. I mean, he basically says it right there. He doesn't want to have to, like, you know, have to be respectful to a black guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So, I mean, really, because when we say, like, this is a racist story, it's not just like there's racist ideas, and there are, but Solomon Kane himself and, you know, Howard speaking through him expresses. Um, huge amounts of bigotry um it's obvious that that he feels that white europeans are superior to uh to black africans and even more doubly so to these um savages in the vampire land because they they eventually get to the to the city where nakari is through a series of misadventures and uh he can't believe that 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 they could build this city because um, it's way beyond um, black people. Yes, way um, beyond, way beyond. It's it's kind of the ancient aliens thing going on right. there, right? Um, which is kind of strange because he definitely Howard's Africa is an Africa that has never existed except in the pages of weird tales or Tarzan or something. It's this like highly European romanticized version of just 
you know, a continent of jungle and desert. Yep. It, it is. There's no civilization that arose out, you know, naturally. Um, right. There's, there's ancient lost civilizations. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're in one right now. But, but, there, but there's no way that the natives could have built anything um, right. beyond grass huts. Mm -hmm. um, and there's danger around every corner. Um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, once again, it's kind of odd that he would, Howard, would be so negative to this environment that's totally in his mind. Because he, I mean, of his love of barbarism, you have a continent that he's created full of barbarism. Mm -hmm. um, and and he can't accept them as being even close to being on the level with a Sumerian. Right, right. And you also have you also have Cain as kind of a contradictory character because you know he he doesn't speak that way about the river tribes. That, yeah, but you can kind of tell that he he doesn't really hold them in in esteem either. No, no, he definitely Solomon Kane definitely feels that you know he as a white European or as a European there's is is of a superior stock. Yes, to to the African. Um, even even the character of Nalanga that shows up in other Solomon Kane stories, you know he he's an Atlantean. Is Nalaga Atlantean? Are you sure? Uh, either or a descendant of Atlanteans or something like that. that. He's tied Possible. to, he's tied to the old Hyborian age somehow. Well, he, well, he has the staff of Solomon that he ends right. Up, well, that'll be next week. But he has his own. He has his own powers and stuff like that. And well, he's he's got big juju. Yes, that that's that's how and this and this guy who is like uh, sometimes Solomon McCain's sidekick. Mm -hmm. uh, speaks broken English, right? He he speaks the uh, a patois, um, and he you know he acts he acts like a, a fool, you know. But um, he's but in that way he's also the stereotypical wizard character who is extraordinarily powerful, but pretends to be an idiot, right? You know he's a he's a trickster, and there is a little more begrudging respect. Toward, but he's like a Sambo trickster, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. And we'll talk about him more next week when we do uh, Hills of the Dead. Yeah, but in this particular story, yeah, Solomon Kane is definitely in there to be this kind of European mouthpiece. Um, the tribe of the Nagari, um, you know, they live in Atlantean ruins. Yeah, they're well. Basically, they are um, descendants of Atlantean slaves. Yes, who, um, who rose up and overthrew the the degenerate Atlanteans. Mm -hmm. Nagari was the last bastion of Atlantis after the empire crumbled. Right, and uh, they were they they had gotten to the point. Uh, culturally, where they weren't able to take care of themselves, mm -hmm. uh, they did no labor. They did. They didn't fight their own battles. They did nothing, and um, so the slaves revolted, and you know, uh, kept around the priests uh, be because the priests knew what they were doing. But, but the big complaint from the last remaining 
priest of Atlantean stock in Nagari. The one complaint was that over the years, the Atlanteans and Africans were interbreeding. Yes. And that was that motherfucker's big beef right there. Is that they they had taken the pure Atlantean stock, which Howard also makes great strides to let you know that the Atlanteans were at least of Mediterranean descent. Well, they, they had brown skin. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, he kind of holds them in contempt as well. Okay. And that may be because of their, their skin, but I think it's more because they allowed themselves to get to the point where they, where they let their slaves um, take, take over. Mm-hmm. The um, savages, quote-unquote. Uh, and and it's, it's strange because the way it all breaks down is you have these Atlanteans, and they have both white and black slaves. Um, and after the fall of Atlantis, we don't hear from them what happened to the white slaves because, boom, we have Europe, right? Right. But we hear an awful lot of what happens to the black slave because, boom, we have Nagari. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they are a degenerate race who... Um, who are driven by rage and bloodlust. Right. So in, in the mind of Solomon Cain, they are degenerates among degenerates. Yes. And, um, and, and it takes a perfectly straightforward action-adventure story, uh, you know, even a chivalric, a chivalric tale, a chivalric tale, excuse me, and interjects all of this... Muck. You know, ethnic commentary and, and, and muck because none of it has any basis in anything other than, you know, just the Howard way that believed. Howard believed and yeah. in a lot of ways the 16th century Europeans believed. Right. And, and so Solomon Cain does take place in the 16th century. Yes. I guess you could say uh, that Solomon Cain is a man of his time. Mm-hmm. But only because Howard made himself. Yes. And in doing so, is able to echo sentiments of his time and sentiments that have that reverberate even today. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm sure that some some douchebag who's listening to this, um, who has made it past the point to this point, but believes like Howard could do no wrong, or Lovecraft could do no no wrong, or none of these old fucks could do no wrong, um, is is getting pissed off and angry because the dead horse is being beaten. Yes, they were racist back then. Get over it. But here's the thing, is that story, just the core of that story was printed as a comic book um, Mm -hmm. in Marvel um, in their magazine form. It was uh, the Savage Tales of, of, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was not in in the Conan book, though. It was in a a separate book. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no, it wasn't Conan. My fault. It, yeah, it Savage was, Tales. It was, it was in Savage Tales. It was in like their magazine form, Savage Tales, and right. um, they took out all the racism, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of it, and they still had a long comic book story, and it was a good story. Right. <laughs> it, it was now, like it, it was. It's got everything you want. It's got adventure. Yeah, it's 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 sexist as well, and he totally white knights on this on this um, girl that he's rescuing. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. and that's that's a different issue but in 
in terms of the racism and removing it, you you have a pretty good story. Is it the best Solomon Kane story? No, but it is a really good. It's gripping. Uh, it's got you know action and adventure and an ancient ancient. Um, city, um, the tale, the stripped down tale of the Atlanteans crumbling and the slaves revolting is great, you know, without the, the racial commentary. Right. And, and, you know, it's classic weird tale stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. Which is why I said it had all that potential. And the comic book brought out used, that potential. Used that potential, right? And got to the essence of what the story was. Unfortunately, the way it's told um, as written by Howard, all that gets like muddled because he just has this vendetta of pushing this, this, this bigotry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I, I just, I don't know, maybe that sold, sold books at the right. time. Maybe that's, maybe they needed that stereotype. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know why it's in there. Um, and, and Howard does this, um, a couple of times in his career, there's like stories that, that end up being unreadable. I had mentioned Black Canaan, um, mm -hmm. which was a huge disappointment because it's such a great story and it just kind of falls um, falls because um, you know it's it's bigoted. Yep, and we also have to say that because Solomon Kane as a character does not speak much, he's not as chatty as Conan. Yeah, that's true. Much of the much of Howard's ideas on race actually comes through because it's part of the narration, right? You know, it's it's not Solomon Kane saying, uh, you know, these, you know, he uses the term blacks all the time, <laughs> you know, the black, or you know, he uses black as a noun, right? You were saying earlier that he there's only twice that he refers to um, the the people in in the in the city as human as right. humans. Right. He, uh, he, he described as leopards. Leopards, uh, like the aforementioned blacks, uh, negroes, warriors, um, animals. Yeah, I but mean, only uses the word people once. And only uses the word humans once in refers in re referencing the people of Nagari. Now let, let's talk. Um, let's get past this because okay, let's not beat the dead horse. <laughs> um, there are no just, horses in this story. No, there aren't. Uh, and let, let's look at the the, the story, the characters. Um, talk a little bit about Solomon Kane. What about the the Antagonist. What about Nakari herself? Now, as oh, well, a, as a villain. Nakari as a villain is one part femme fatale, one part world conqueror. <laughs> um, often in at the same time. Yeah, there's something about her that doesn't quite make sense. So she um, is descended from. Um, a, a union between the Atlantean priests and the um, the native population. Mm -hmm. So she she's a mixed blood, and she um, grew up amongst the priests, so she knows a lot of their rituals. Right. And she doesn't understand them because she doesn't speak the tongue of the Atlanteans. Right. But but she, she knows, knows enough. 
She knows enough to make a good show of it. Mm-hmm. And she's ruthless enough to use that to her own advantage. Yes. So so you have the setup is really, really cool. She is like this ruthless vampire queen who uh, mm-hmm. refuses to to um, talk to men unless they bring her gifts. Right. And then uh, Solomon Kane comes along and she's intrigued. And when he is finally like put in her, her dungeon, she comes up to him and makes him an offer to uh, be with her. Mm-hmm. And she more or less says, you know you want me. You know you find me beautiful. You can be by my side. You can be king here. And we can rule the world. And Solomon Kane kind of thinks about it and goes, you know, the way Europe is right now, these bloodthirsty motherfuckers could take over the world. Yep. The world being Europe. Right. Right. Everybody else is going to screw them. But, yeah, uh, yeah definitely um, definitely thinks about it for a second there. And, and, and you know, he considers it it's a wild and crazy plan. But the state of the world that when he left Europe to come to Africa, they had a better than average chance of succeeding in this plan. Right. Uh, because, you know, at the time, Europeans hated each other. Especially um, at war with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, this is the time of the Spanish Armada. Mm-hmm. Um, in England, the Hundred Years' War. I might be off by a century or two with these things. But, you know, it's that that period of the like, constant war in Europe. Mm-hmm. And it's the age, it's also the age of exploration and, and, mm-hmm. and colonization. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing the first colonies in you know, the New World. We're seeing colonies growing in Africa. Uh, they reference the slave coast. That's one point where Africans were being brought out and sold into chattel slavery for Europeans. Right. So you have this 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 world in Solomon Cain's eyes, and and really in the eyes of history is a world of complete chaos, so unless I- you were isolated from the rest of the world. And yeah, so. Nakari's plan is to build an army to to conquer Africa first and unite all the peoples of Africa under her banner. Which and does then, not seem to be too hard in the in just the way things in in um, Howard's Africa. Right. <laughs> and then from there, spread out all over the world and conquer the entire world. Yes. You know, not just you know, in Solomon Cain's mind, the entire world really is Europe. Is Europe, right. But Nakari is aware of the wider world, and she sees herself spreading out. And the only thing that she really wants from Solomon Cain is guns. Yep. And Solomon Cain does the math. It's like her, her power, her charisma, the ferocity of her warriors, plus guns. Yeah, everybody's screwed if this happens. Yep. So what turned what started out as a rescue mission turns into um, a genocide. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Nakari wants the entire world under her thumb. And to prevent that from happening, Solomon Cain kills everyone. Right. He destroys the entire city. Uh, well, through through he he believes that his actions were were. Uh, yes. God. reinforced by providence and that's yes. all that brings up an entirely new sticky situation uh, oh my god okay so 
There is, and I think this is Howard halfway um, excusing some of the poor writing in this adventure. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of coincidence and happenstance that yes. goes on in, in this story. Um, I realize that a lot of stories have to have that or they don't work. Mm -hmm. I get that. Right. But there's a lot of then and then and then that happens. Right. He just so happens to find the last Atlantean. It just so happens to be the full moon. He just happens to take the wrong staircase, blah, blah, blah. Right. He happens to take the wrong staircase, and the guard at the top of that staircase just happens to be wearing his gun. His gun, right. <laughs> exactly. Nakari's coming at him with blood in her eyes, and a rando um, guy full of bloodlust um, cuts her down. Right. Before Solomon can even like lay a finger on her. So, yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of that. And, and at the, in the end, in the epilogue, he explains how he believes it was the hand of uh, God acting right. through him to allow this to happen because God would never allow Europe to be conquered by savages, mm -hmm. especially oh, yes. black savages. Yes, there's definitely there's definitely a savior narrative going through the stories of Solomon Cain. Yeah, particularly the ones where he's in Africa. Mm -hmm. Yes, that that Cain is fulfilling. It's a, it's it's a lot of difference. my childs. Right. But um Kane is also is also a prototype. He's he is an Arthurian character. So of course he's chosen by God to right wrongs. And yeah. he has this real determination to do so. He's he's almost a uh, he kind of embodies several aspects of different Arthurian characters. He has the sing the combat skill of Lancelot. He has the religious beliefs of Galahad, you know, which reminds me of the scene where he first meets or first sees Nakari on the throne. And he's he he mentions her beauty and her savagery. And it's like, you know, something he didn't explicitly say it, but he dances around the fact that Solomon Cain is standing there and something is stirring in his Puritan loins that he's not liking much. <laughs> so he has to kill everyone to Right. Right. It's uh, you know, you know, she lit the, the grail shaped beacon. Yep. Yep. And it was time for spankings all the way. And around. actually there was spanking involved mm -hmm. in this story. There was. <laughs> there was some spanking too. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yes, there, there's some salacious girl-on-girl spanking that happens in this story. Right, but it's only it's not told. It's implied. It's it's happened. not like um like I just read randomly um, this week uh, Zuthul of the Dusk Conan mm -hmm. story right. where there is actual spanking, and that mm -hmm. one was like, whoa, dude. Was it a cover story? <laughs> uh, it probably was, because you know remember we did talk about that they the writers that cover. Right, and writers in weird tales got a few extra bucks for getting a cover story. Yeah, so they I'll tell you make what, their stories as sensational and salacious as possible to get that cover story. Zuthal the Dusk um, has S and M, lesbianism, um, tentacle porn. It's got all of it in there. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, and and it's it's you know the '30s, so you know it it doesn't 
go past that the point of tastelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're into that stuff, go read that story. <laughs> right. If there's a little bit of there's a little bit of yellow uh, fear in that. Damn, yellow mm-hmm. terror too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're uh, basically a city full of uh, opium heads, mm-hmm. more or less. Black Lotus. Ooh. Now, they're supposed to be Chinese, right? Solomon <laughs> King rescues the girl, as you know he does. There's right. And was there ever any doubt? Was there ever any doubt? See, wasn't there? Wasn't there a Solomon Kane story where he didn't win? Maybe, maybe. I don't think they pay um, these writers to have their characters not win. Right, right. Because it's it's pulp, it's weird tales. These characters are and not you want meant that, to be. You want that ending? You know, it's it's unlike how many people believe these stories were not meant to be high literature. So there's not a whole lot of character development across these yeah. serial stories. Well, I'll tell you what, though, I joke and say, was there ever any doubt? But one thing that that Howard does really, really well is create tension in stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, in the end, you know, he's going to rescue this girl, but there are parts where you kind of want to know how, um, he's, oh my God, he's chained in a dungeon right now. Um, how does he get loose? Yeah. How does he get loose? Oh, she's got a thousand dancing people around her and the priest is standing over her with a knife and Solomon Cain is in in another part of the castle. How is he going to save her? So there, there's definitely. I think he kind of painted himself tension. into a corner. There's definitely tension um, happening in these stories, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think Robert E. Howard ever paints himself into a corner because I think he re- revised his stories. You know. Well, he had he, he got to he a point in that wanted. story, right? Well, he got to that point. Well, I guess I guess even including the wrath of God, so to speak. Um, and it, it it's a it's a trope that carried over into say uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, you know Indiana Jones was in that same exact predicament when the Nazis opened the Ark. Yeah, um, and it took an act and a literal act of God to put Indy in a position where he could come out on top. Right. Well, this wasn't so much of an act of God. This was an act of really good aim. Right. Well, <laughs> it's. <laughs> Have you ever heard about how those guns back then fired? No, I... I <laughs> <laughs> that he was able to shoot across the room and hit the other wall was an amazing feat in itself. Yes. With, that with a flintlock pistol. But that's the thing. It's like you had you have these tension and, and these moments of release that Howard's really, really super good at that mm-hmm. no one else who was writing at the time, I think, could match. No. No, but everybody, everybody had their own style of how it would outcome. Robert E. Howard was very much in the mindset of an action adventure writer, so it was always a daring you know, feat of of skill or thews. Yeah, well, it's like out of the frying pan and into the fire was his motto. Right. Um, just as soon as they get out of one situation, another one crops up. You know, he he 
is pushed off a cliff and lands on an outcropping and uh, finds a cave. And there's a, a giant snake in the cave. So he battles the snake. And then he finds a secret passage and and find and sees like a city of people arrayed worshiping uh, their queen. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Oh shit! How the fuck am I gonna like right, get, get, get past this. all these people?" He finally finds the girl to rescue her, and then he's captured, right, um, by her animal instincts. Because um, you know he was hiding, and and the only way she found him was because of that sixth sense that mm-hmm. you know animals have, and it's described as an animal instinct. He's in the dungeon, and and he is uh, being escorted and escapes in like this grand, you know, fight scene, and it, that's just the way the whole story is. It's like a, a a spring that that you know tenses up, tenses up, tenses up, and then it's released. It very much follows. Um... The Lester Dent formula as well, where in each act, you know, you you begin with you know action, climbing the cliff, mm-hmm. you know, to get to the to the precipice, the plateau. There, I mean, you know, he's he's in trouble from the onset. He's in over his head. Yeah, it's, it's a series of cliffhangers. Right, he has pretty much walked to the center of Africa. Yeah, <laughs> to get here. So I mean, it's just in terms of, of like of keeping your your attention to the story mm-hmm. and wanting to to go on and know more and find out what happens. It's fantastic. Yes, um, and and none of the other guys doing pulps at the time could could match it. I mean, I could right. see why Howard was one of the most more popular um, authors. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he definitely he definitely has. You know, even back at the time, he had everything that you wanted in a in a in an adventure story. Yeah. You know, there were no shrinking violets. You know, no. of, of Lovecraft, and there weren't um, cowardly, you know, antiheroes of say uh, Clark Ashton Smith. Yeah, well, that and that's the thing is like with Lovecraft, you have like this this uh, general buildup, and it just builds and builds and builds and builds. Um, and you don't get that with Howard. Howard knows when to release it and when to ratchet it up again. Yep. yep. Um, even like uh, Clark Ashton Smith is more dreamlike in his in in his approach to, to even action stories, but you don't have that same kind of a uh, release that you get with Howard. Right. Um, it's still, it's like a slow burn to the end. Mm-hmm. His his um, characters. His characters are actually able to confront these these uh, mind shattering experiences, you know, and come out on the other side and just go through them. Right. Well, um, I think that that's part of the reason why um, we still know who Solomon Kane is. I mean, a shitty movie and a few comics aside. No, you didn't like the film. No, not really. Um, you know who Solomon Kane is. You know who Conan is. I mean, who doesn't know who Conan is? Right. Um, you know, even like lesser heroes like Bran Moore and, and what have you, you know, are on people. People know about them. Right. Um, whereas who knows who uh, Randolph Carter is outside of people who read Lovecraft. But we digress. But overall, Moon of Skulls is a great core idea of an adventure story um it's 
you know, filled with all the things that make Solomon Kane great and filled with all the things that make 1930s pulp stories awful. Yeah. So, yes. you know, it's one of those things, it's one of those stories that, you know, to read and to get any enjoyment out of it, you have to in directly engage the thoughts that are running through Howard's mind and the thoughts that are running through Kane's mind. Yeah, it's kind of, it's ugly. Um, and, and it is ugly. And it's, it's, it's an ugly representation of a very ugly time. It's, but here's the thing. Though. It's written as romantic. You know, if you enjoy this story, it doesn't make you a bad person. No. I, you know, it, for me, wading through the BS of the, just the bigotry and the hate and the disrespect um, and getting to the core of the story, like I said, it has the potential to be such a great story. I don't think I'm a bad person. Um, so... I, if you think that us saying that Robert E. Howard was racist um, reflects upon you, the reader, or someone who likes Robert E. Howard as an author, you got to do some soul searching because that, that's not what we're saying at all. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I will say that if you find the racism, bigotry, and hatred, um, the the um, selling point of this story, then yeah, you're probably... Uh, you're probably an asshole and you should probably um, rethink your life. Right. If you think the Atlantean priest well, makes a point, you know, then yeah, you, you've probably got some problems you need to, to. In conclusion, like all of the great quote unquote pulp stories of weird tales and of the great pulp writers, take it with a grain of salt. Prepare to be engaged with some disgusting and repulsive language um, and view of the world that you know you may you probably if you have a lick of sense do not subscribe to I just would say just know what you're getting into right um, by your caveat in tour yeah uh, because you know that's that's what these things are mm-hmm. um, would would somebody be able to get away with writing this today outside of like um, all right literature absolutely not probably not unless they had sad puppies to uh back back them up up. so yep there it is robert e howard solomon kane um hopefully we didn't rake him across the coals too bad for the fanboys but uh you know if so tough yeah you know make like solomon kane and just push on through it that's right and 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 maybe be introspective like All right, so that's it, and we'll see you next time. We'll be doing another Solomon Kane story next week, Hills of the Dead. So yes. it'll be Solomon Kane versus vampires. Uh, you know, we will warn you there. There will probably be much bitching about vampires. Yes. So until next time, keep thirty luck points. <laughs>